the Pandem Files. This all started when Dan and I experienced an earthquake together in Tirana, Albania. <laughs> an earthquake is right. A major crisis, a catastrophe that rocked us, literally. And right now, we're in the middle of a similar situation globally where every system politically, economically, socially is being rocked as well. And that is what this whole podcast series is about, is how do you deal with crisis? Yeah, because when we were together in the middle of the crisis, we started to realize the value of being able to talk about our experience. Like, how did it affect us when it was taking place? Like, what did we do and why did we do it? And, and of course, sometimes you never know, like, why you do things. You just do them. But because of that, we realized we needed to talk to some of the people that we've known throughout our lives and throughout our career and figure out what they did during the pandemic and what they think they'll do post-pandemic. So I'm going to state the obvious. We both changed due to an earthquake. And I'm going to state the obvious again. The world has changed due to the pandemic. The big question is how, why, what, where, when. These are some of those questions that we are going to be asking our friends across the globe as to what they do during the pandemic. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to The Pandemic. The entrepreneur spirit in this man lives not just now, but for the rest of his life. He's just one of these guys. His name is Sam Eitzen, currently the CEO of Snapbar, which has been going through so many phenomenal pivots, which we'll be talking about today. Also listed as one of the Inc. Top 500 companies, fastest growing companies in the U.S. and many other accolades. Sam, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. All right, here. Sam, my man. Um, the world in 2019 was so different from 2020. Give us yeah. a snapshot. <laughs> See what I did there um, <laughs> of what your life looked like. What was Snapbar pre-pandemic? What was this monstrosity of a success story that you had built? Oh yeah. Well, thank you for the overhyped compliments for a glorified photo booth company. <laughs> I always told people because I was too embarrassed to say photo booth company that we were a photo and video experience company. And uh, yeah, fancy, but basically we were a photo booth company. We, uh, we were at an in-person event service provider. Um, everyone has used photo booths at this point in time. We had different types of products, but at the end of the day, we recorded uh, video or we took like, like a GIF boomerang style photos or regular photos, branded them, and then delivered them to people's mobile devices so that they could share on the internet. That's the nutshell. <laughs> You're such an eloquent speaker. I mean, I feel like I shouldn't follow you. That voice is like absolutely amazing. Do you integrate voice into your snap box too? Or how's that work? No, we have before. Yes, we've done like video testimonials. Some, uh, those would be popular at, funny enough, like they were always popular at, I don't know, you call them like exit parties or when like a retirement party and or when someone was leaving a position they would oftentimes at some of the companies at least here in the seattle area would throw them like 50 60 person party at a bar or restaurant and they always wanted to do video testimonials to send as like a message with the with the individual those are fun yeah so let's talk a little bit about like what happened to you um actually on a personal level as well as a professional level during the pandemic how did you have to potentially shift or modify your business model and how did you even maybe shift yourself yeah so 
we got the first inkling that something was up in maybe late February. We saw some events being canceled internationally. We did not have a presence at them, but it definitely clued us into this idea that, okay, this, this disease, this sickness, this virus is, I mean, it's a big deal. You know, Mobile World Congress, as I was telling you guys before this chat, was I think the first big one that I'd heard of. And that was, I mean, that's a multi-million dollar event. I mean, I can't remember. I think I saw what, like the city of Barcelona stood to lose like 300 or $400 million just for them canceling. And I thought, my goodness, you know, what's next? Uh, I was concerned about South by Southwest. I was also concerned about a couple other big tech conferences we had in the Vegas area, but it just seemed far away. And then we went on this retreat as a company in early March, funny enough, because had nothing to do with the pandemic. Our focus or theme was change. <laughs> I know, ironic. And when we got back, it was the worst. We basically, it was like the floodgates of cancellations started pouring in. We lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the span of a couple of weeks. Revenue for the next three months at first was essentially gone overnight. And not only was the revenue gone, but we also owed a lot of people refunds. Per our contract, if we had not performed any work on your event and it was further than 30 days out, we would give you back your deposit. Essentially, deposits were used to lock in a date and that's it. But we didn't feel good. So that was our contract. We also didn't feel good about trying to go in like some of our uh, other, uh, you know, some other people in our space had done and I don't know, there's these special clauses, I guess, like extraneous circumstances or acts of God, things like that. And we just didn't enforce it. We thought we wanted to have a good relationship with these companies post this virus thing. And then I genuinely thought at the time we'd be good in two months, like come summer, wedding season, music festival season would be, would be back on track. So it was really, really scary in the month of March. And uh, we lost a ton of money. And we kind of like hunkered down thinking, okay, two months, we can do this. And then as it, as it went on, it was crazy. So this is basically every founder CEO's nightmare situation yeah. multiplied because it's not just your company revenue, it's your staff. And even from the stories that you're sharing, these are people you care about. These are people you know, you know their names, you know their stories. These are clients that you know. There are, there's failure and breakups at every stage so what did you do? How did you restructure? What was the shift? Yeah, so again, like mid-March when we were at the most like freaked out point, we thought, okay, if this is worse than our assumption of like, oh, it's gonna be bad for two or three months, we have, we have nothing. I mean, we lost a ton of money and there was no foreseeable future in live events, especially something that was like an add-on, like photo booths are an add-on, they're not an essential service, right? So we thought we should pivot fancy word now overused as many people, I guess are saying, but we, we thought, yeah, we, we can't be reliant on in-person events. So we, uh, one evening at home, I couldn't sleep. Uh, got out about at 10 PM thought I need to figure something out. So don't ask me why, but I promised myself I wouldn't go back to bed unless I'd written out 50 ideas. So I, just stayed up until 2, 3 a.m. writing out 50 ideas, some of which were horrible. Um, but again, ideas nonetheless, I needed something. And 
Yeah, ended up with 50, went to bed the next evening. We had our leadership team over and our job was we need to whittle down. We need to like basically go through this list and start coming through it and find what we can do next that is not going to get canceled in one sense. And we, we can't just be providing this extra extra service that's 100% reliant on in-person events. And I mean, so um, Jewel and I were, are cheekily smiling at each other because there's something you said there that caught both of us and we're like, this is gold, like waking up. I mean, this you you are the ultimate entrepreneur, right? Like waking up with something on your heart and then going, I will not sleep. I will go under sleep deprivation in order to help my company survive. I mean, this is this is it. So you, you said 50 ideas, some were great, some were comical. Um, I know because I've been paying attention to the news about some of the things you tried out. Can you share a little bit about how you showed love to your city, how you showed love to healthcare workers, and eventually what happened with the photo booth business? Yes. So we, you know, the day after I came up with those ideas, um, my leadership team came over to the house. We started going through and they quickly eliminated the crazy stuff that I thought maybe we should try. And the next, the day after that, I think it was a Friday, my brother and I chose one and it was gift boxes. And that was it. The, the, the idea was just, we could start a gift box company. So we will, I mean, it's pretty basic, right? Anyone could do this. You buy in bulk, you package, you ship. You just need a theme or a brand or something. It didn't feel too difficult, but we quickly realized it just was a basic Google searching. Holy cow. I mean, there's, we will be nobody. There is a sea of gift box and subscription companies out there. How would we stand out? And that weekend, Joe was walking around Seattle before the stay at home orders were in place. And he just saw all these, like nobody. I mean, it wasn't, no one was even being forced in one sense to like stay in place or stay home, but there was just nobody on the streets, no tourists, no nothing. Seattle had been the first place where um, kind of like US cases were recorded at a, not right outside the city. And we thought, he called me up and he said, what about small business stuff? What, what about all these people that are no longer moving their goods? No tourism, no foot traffic. So you think the craft coffee, this the local chocolate artisan, these types of things. And I'd heard of like, I don't know if you guys had ever heard of like the taste the world subscription boxes where you can taste things from like different countries and different food items. Yeah. So this idea of variety and discovery is not original, but we felt that small business, the small business plight was kind of timely. I mean, small businesses were the first to get hit really hard. So you were supposed to shut down your coffee shop but Starbucks was still open because they just had so many more resources and they could do the contactless drive, you know, like drive through thing better. And it was just, it was an interesting time. So that's what we did. We started this. It's technically not a separate company. It is just a registered kind of business name, I guess it was called keep your city smiling. And the idea is that we sell small business goods to uh, in gift boxes. So it is not a subscription box to anyone. Um, it was definitely conceived as a direct to consumer idea. So I wanted you, Daniel, to go purchase a keep New York smiling box. The box, um, would basically contain only five items from small New York city businesses. So it was a way to keep your city smiling, help the small business, taste some cool stuff. 
I think that's really cool. So that pivot is really interesting. But my question is, you said that you were in town right before everything shut down. So how is it that you uh, convinced, I guess, these business owners that traditionally they weren't doing anything like that whatsoever? How is it that you convinced them that this was something, a business model that they should um, adopt and most importantly, like to trust you guys in order to make sure that their goods were making it to consumers and even new consumers? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think part of it was just, yeah, it, tough to say. Some people said no. So let's be honest. Some people said, no, you know, I'm not interested. Can't do any more wholesale deals, et cetera, et cetera. When we wrote from our accounts, our accounts were snap bar like at the snapbar.com and we told them the story of what had happened. So the, very briefly. So for let, let's go a little, before I ask you more practical questions, let's go into like advisory mode. Okay. So imagine you are on the board of a startup and they're in a similar situation and they have to make a pivot. They have to make a shift. They have to do things differently. Having done a few pivots and tried things out, what are your couple top tips um, of how to refigure your mission, your vision, your values, in addition to stay up late at night and don't go back to sleep until you can write 50 <laughs> ideas down? But what, what's the filter? What's the criteria? How, how does one determine what's, what you should try and what you shouldn't? Yeah, I think, I think it's part logic and reverse engineering and part of it has to be passion i think the, so the on the logic side we simply looked at our team we looked at our space like our physical offices and our equipment and that was definitely the criteria that we moved through in going from 50 ideas down to 18 is what the leadership team were able to come down to and it was really basic stuff like if we had an idea where we knew we didn't have the right kind of say salespeople or marketing or or connections it's, it still might be a good idea. It's just not going to be one that we could execute very easily. So we would get rid of it. So that was the first part is just reverse engineer the skills and the resources that are there. And the people is the most important part. I think um, what could our people now do differently? Um, and then the second piece is passion. Um, when we mentioned the gift idea, uh, the gift box idea, it's like, okay, cool. When we presented the idea officially that next Monday and said, here's the idea, here's the name, and here's how we're going to be supporting small business. So this like mission passion part, it was, it was just as well received as it was when it was like just a good pivot idea saying, I think we could do gift box as well. People actually got excited about it. It was at that, at that point, some people have asked me, Hey, what, how'd your team just like upend everything they were doing and get behind this? Honestly, I think that it was just that bad. Like if you were on our team, you saw how fast we lost everything. So it wasn't so much, it was like, oh, really? Like that pivot idea? It was like, no, anything we need to do to survive or I probably don't have a job. It's been incredible. They've been the true champions during this entire three, four months now uh, since everything started changing for us. Basically, not a single person had the exact same role, at least for a time. Now, now some things have kind of normalized in that we have this this other photo booth product that that works in the virtual age. But but in that in that time that it was being built, it, it's a tech product. Um, every person <clears throat> was focused on keep your city smiling, and that was nothing like a photo booth company. <laughs> That's a big shift. Talk to us a little bit 
about what you're building right now, how that happened, and where you see the future of the virtual world and where you fit into that when it comes to events and conferences. Yeah, thanks. So funny enough, we'd made a, our biggest hire, our biggest bet in terms of a person in February. Um, we brought on a full-time director of engineering. <clears throat> so that was the, you know, the highest paid role by a long shot that we'd ever considered. And at first we just thought this bad timing, I mean, what are we going to do? Right. But uh, during this pivot, <clears throat> one of the ideas that we'd written down, um, we'd shipped photo booths all over the country before to events. And this is what that you do, right? Photo, brand it, put on your props or whatever, share it to the social media. Uh, and then when we started getting requests for, hey, do you have any virtual event solutions? First of all, I didn't even know what a virtual event solution was other than like a Zoom call or some type of platform. But one client early on said, do you have an online photo booth? And no, we didn't. We didn't. We'd never heard of it. But it made the pivot idea. And it was something that we started building, but we just didn't really know how it would go. And so it was um, Patrick, our director of engineering's full engineering's full-time job to build out this product that we based loosely off of a Barbie photo booth that exists on the internet. Um, it's not an actual photo booth, but you can like customize a Barbie uh, on the Barbie website. And it's this weird little like screen and you can drag props and do all this weird stuff. And I thought, I mean, that's interesting. All we'd need to do is take a photo and then do everything that Barbie does. And you could create a branded, like if it was a company or, or a, a custom photo. And this is, by the way, I mean, identical to what Snapchat and Instagram and all these places do. It's just that you can't use Snapchat or Instagram around events. It's not inclusive. Uh, you're not going to force someone to download Instagram or to open up their private account to make it public or, you know, and you can't like infuse your branding as an overlay or a filter or do custom props. That's what we built. Um, took us about a month and a half. Well, took Patrick about a month and a half. We launched it. We were the first that we know of virtual photo booth piece of software that exists I think currently we rank like number one on Google when you type in virtual photo booth and it's not a crazy piece of technology, but we own it. And it's the first piece of technology that we've ever owned or built. That's really awesome. Wow. How can <laughs> I get one of those? Yeah. And <laughs> it's easy. You, you <laughs> can go try it out. I mean, it's, we have a demo on our website where yeah. you get created like this. If you go to the snapbar.com and you go to virtual booth, uh, it literally just says like, try it. And we created a fake, uh, I guess, music festival called Beats of Palooza. And, and that's the, it's just themed as a music festival, right? That's awesome. Go um, try it out. And you can do like AI background removal. You can bring in like cool frames. And it's a very basic product. But when virtual events are mostly sitting in front of a screen, hearing people talk, and there's little opportunity for maybe fun, distraction, expression, or even posting. Like what do you, I mean, the alternative is like you take a photo of your computer and like some person talking and saying, I'm having a great time at XYZ conference. This is a way for you to like promote this thing. So Ted, the Ted conference that went virtual for eight weeks is using it. They had it, they had the virtual photo booth for eight weeks and thousands of people took photos 
um, some pretty big places, Gallup. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> it sounds like uh, you also were able during the pandemic to come up with a brand new pricing model and something that's a little bit more inclusive of different brands across the globe. So congratulations um, for that. So in closing, what's some um, words of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs out there who may potentially still be trying to figure out like what's next post pandemic if they're having a hard time with this creative process in order to still keep their business alive, keep their employees employed. Um, what's some words of advice that you would give them? Yeah. Um, I think two different things. First, I mentioned it before the people on our team have been invaluable and the only reason I think that we've been able to pivot successfully is because of them and because they didn't give up, get depressed, decide not to work hard. I mean, they worked harder than ever to try to help save, turn around our, our company. And so this thought came to me a while ago, but it was that the culture that we've been investing in is compound interest, right? Culture is like compound interest. There have been times in the earlier days of our, my company when we would pay for retreats and do company lunches and these things that I thought, I don't like, this is expensive. It's expensive to do all these things to like buy people books and take time for like deep dive meetings and summits. Um, but it was important and it built our culture and it built our relationships and connections. And so, and, and so at first it just seemed kind of like, ah, I don't know if this is really doing much over time. It really like well, compound interest, it builds up and it, to us, it has meant everything. So that's a big one is like invest in your people and invest in the culture and the relationships that you have with them because it is maybe not always like when things are going great, you think, oh, wow, look at me. I built this great business. And like, it, I think it can become very easily like self-centric, but you are, you, you've never built anything by yourself. It's always the people around you that have helped you build things, right? And so I think that's a big one. The other piece would be iterate as quickly as possible. Um, and don't, don't assume things are going to get better fast. That, that's just like a very practical piece. Um, I saw the kind of like foolishness of our assumptions that this virus might be really bad for two months pretty quickly as it just got worse and worse and worse. Right. And I know that there's tons of things that play into that, but if I had maybe had more of like a, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say pessimistic, but like a realistic or, or, I don't know. I probably should have been thinking six months, a year. And we did. Now, now we think that now we think one and a half years, two years as much as possible. Right. But um, yeah, we, we needed to be, I mean, we're really fortunate, blessed, however you're lucky to have had pivot number one with Keeper City Smiling go so well mm. because pivot number one doesn't always go well. And sometimes pivot two doesn't. And so um, yeah, right. It's just, move fast, iterate quickly. And like, sometimes I think plan for like the long term. especially, I guess that's like a specific piece of like something to do today. The culture thing takes time. I think that's way more important, but it does take time. There are so many nuggets of wisdom in there. And I think one major takeaway said subtly, but also said articulately towards the end is about people and the culture. And it's obviously just surrounded by good people, you know, starting up the story with, the retreats. I mean, that's awesome that you would even take that time to meet together, to involve them in that conversation on change, not just to dictate what change will look like, but to involve them. And then you mentioned about a leadership team and how instrumental they were in helping you as a leader to guide you as a leader 
and to even build such people that you trust and you respect. So even when they cut down ideas that you thought were good, um, you respected that. And then to have people like your brother on the team that can spark ideas and, you know, influence. And then to have, like you said, you know, you, you make some big bets around some employees. Uh, you promise them one thing. You then have to expect something because of another situation, but they believe in you enough, trust you enough um, to then walk with you on the journey. It, I think your whole story is just about how, how valuable people are. And so I appreciate you pulling that out. Um, and also celebrating people around you because I do not ever believe in self-made entrepreneurs and anyone who claims to be self-made, I tell them, how dare you? I mean, yeah. literally, how dare you? I mean, every mm -hmm. author who wrote a book contributed to your life. Every YouTuber that inspired you contributed to your life. Every parent that gave you a roof over your head while you were trying things out. I mean, do every not. Every podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I love that humility. Um, and of course, your own uh, strategic direction and your leadership skills uh, are don't, I mean, that's obvious that you've got that. So thank you so much for being on this podcast and for sharing your thoughts. I uh, wish you the very best as you move forward. And to all of our wonderful listeners, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Pandem Files from BitHouse Ventures and the Igniter Pad. We'd love to hear from those who are paving roads less traveled and adding value to the lives of others. My name is Dan Ram, and feel free to connect with me at I am Dan Ram on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and or Twitter. Once again, I'm Jules Sparks, and I too want to thank you for tuning in. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me at Jules Sparks via Twitter. If you know of a founder or leading initiative that has been able to transcend and navigate beyond the unknown, we would love to feature you on our show. Please send an email to buildimpact at pandemfiles.com. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time.